Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And we are coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studio. Rocket Mortgage with you every step of the day to provide a seamless mortgage experience. I'm reminded this morning of the first thing I saw when I opened up my phone after my four hours of sleep, and it was Super 70 Sports on Twitter, and it's a picture of Ric Flair, and it says, learn to love it or learn to live with it, because diamonds are forever, and so is Ric Flair. It's the Ken Carmen Show on CBS Sports Radio, 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Five burning questions coming up in 20 minutes, and also at around 1240, Pacific. Dana Holgerson's either the most trusting man in college football or the biggest idiot in college football, or you know what? He might be both. Coming up here in about 40 minutes. Right now, let's go to the hotline to talk a little bit of both. A little bit of college, a little bit of pro. We welcome in former pro NFL linebacker, current analyst on KFAN up in Minneapolis, on Twitter at Nacho Lieber. It's Ben Lieber who joins us on the show. Ben, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Why, why only four hours of sleep? Oh, I do. I do. Uh, I, I do TV on Friday nights, oh, and it's late. Man. It is late. That's late. You got to get some yeah. more shut eye. No, no, no. After fall, I, 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 well, after Christmas, then I go to sleep. But no, for fall, I, I just stay up the whole time. It's okay. <laughs> A little hibernation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's okay though. You know how that. I mean, guys. I'm, I'm sure Ben. I don't know your personal life. Do you have kids? I have three kids. And you know exactly what I'm talking about, brother. I'm sure you're not sleeping too much yourself. Kids, three dogs. If it's not a dog waking us up, it's a kid waking us you up. You have so three yeah, kids I and three it. dogs? You have three kids yeah. and three bleeping dogs? Yeah. Yeah, man. People don't believe this. I think dogs are worse than kids. I think they're tougher than kids to deal with. No. at least I, Well, at least my dogs listen to me more than my kids do, so at least there's really? that. See, yeah. I give my son a stare, and he's like, oh, okay, like, I don't do that. Sam, my dog, he doesn't he don't give a damn what I say. <laughs> hey, I just, l- yeah, go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Go. No, you go ahead. I want to hear you. No, it's, it's fine. It, you know, it, I was just going to make another comment about just the dogs, the kids, yes. all good. Let's, let's talk spots. Fine, fine, we'll do it. All right, first off, I want to start. Now, you uh, used to play at K-State, right? Uh, if I remember right, yes. Okay, you played for a legend there. Chris Kleiman started off there three and zero. Is this for real? Is this a guy who goes from North Dakota State to to KSU and automatically can just because he might be younger, maybe able to get him sharper? And they're just a much better football team this year. Is this is this a good start or is this somewhere like okay six and six? But that's a decent start for him there. No, this is a great start. This is a great start. This is yeah. you know I'll go back to just the the hire itself. It it makes the most sense. Um, he is, he is as close to Bill Snyder in the way that he philosophically approaches football than I think any other hot up-and-coming coach uh, could have been. So 
I thought the hire was perfect. Um, they're not trying to do this complete departure. When Ron Prince came in, he wanted to do everything opposite as uh, Bill Snyder. And some of yeah. it worked, but, you know, to have immediate success early on, it was a different offense. They, they had different players on the roster. Um, it was just a little bit of a disaster when it came to just, you know, how they ran the organization. So it was the pendulum swung so far away. With Kleiman, it's, uh, it's not that far away. I mean, it's still tough physical practices um you know they're gonna they're gonna hit it hard and he he really wants to build this foundation of mentally tough don't make mistakes we're gonna run the football we're gonna play outstanding defense um and that's all snyder ever was and snyder he adapted a little bit to the to the college game but i think just from the approach uh about the same type of kids uh and wanting to develop within i think climate is perfect Going over to the Minnesota Vikings, I'm, I'm relieved to hear you say that because I was always worried about what would happen with Bill Snyder after Bill Snyder would retire. It would retire for good. It's like, okay, that, that program's only been good with him, so I'm hoping that this works out for them. What about Mike Zimmer? Why does everybody seem to want him fired? <laughs> like, he seems think, to be coaching for his job every day. You don't well, get that sense? You know, I think there was a little bit of that sense this, this offseason, but I think that I haven't heard as much of that once the season started. Um, you know, he was a guy that, you know, how many times did he interview for a head coaching job in, just before he got the Vikings job with three or four? And and uh, I think just because he is a little bit of rough around the edges, he's not the, the prototypical um, face of the franchise organization. I think maybe the, the public and the ownership of, of other teams want to look for. You know, he just wants to coach ball. He doesn't want to do all of the other media stuff. He doesn't want to do all that stuff um, that comes with the head coaching position. So I think, you know, I, I think it's taken a while for everybody to kind of warm up to him. If you talk to the players, they absolutely love him. I mean, the recommendations, the former players that he's had between the Bengals and the Cowboys, I haven't heard one former player say one bad thing about him. And, I don't think that you can go go down the line very far of a lot of coaches and not find some people like, yeah, yeah, those, yeah, of course, Dion likes him. Of course, the, this guy likes him. And, but there's got to be some guys that don't like him. But I haven't ever heard that. I think that's the best endorsement you, that you could ever get is the players within that you actually touch and mold and coach. They all love the guy. So I, I think he's the right guy for the job. They just got to go out and, and, uh, and get better quarterback play. Well, just like Bill Snyder, I'm a big fan of Mike Zimmer. Uh, I wanted him. I, I'm based out of Cleveland, and I wanted him bad like three times uh, for the Browns. So they went in the other direction, and I was like, well, if you would have went with my guy, maybe we wouldn't be going over all these firings and these huge embarrassing failures over here. Ben Lieber joining us on the show. Okay, the NFC North looks like a meat grinder all of a sudden. Who's, who's poised? I know it's been less than a month. Who's poised to come out on top in this division? Well, I didn't think that Green Bay had much of a shot um, early on just because of, of the new offense and, and and all that stuff, a new coaching staff. And I thought, boy, they're going to stumble out of the blocks in the first quarter of the season. And, and maybe that stumbling is just too much for them if, if the Vikings are who we think they are and, and the Bears' defense can carry that team again and if there's improvements with Detroit. Um, I thought that was the team that was just going to be maybe you know third place, you know second or third place. And it was going to be between the Vikings and the and the Bears. Well, now as it stands, that defense for Green Bay is legit. Uh, they're pretty they're pretty darn good across the board. Um, 
Rodgers, I think, got put on the ground what, one time this last game, so he's getting protection that he needs. They're finding a run game with Aaron Jones. All of a sudden now they're a really balanced team, which is something that they've been looking for for a lot of years. So they're a scary football team to me. Um, you know, the Vikings, if, if, if we can find some sort of complementary passing game, spread the ball around a little bit more, that's a scary team. And then obviously you know, with Chicago, which the Vikings will play tomorrow, if they can find some sort of offensive identity and, uh, and some chemistry there, then they're obviously a dangerous team. And then, you know, Detroit's like slowly just kind of saying like, Hey, we're here. You know, we, we got lucky on a few games. You know, I think the chargers really should have beat them. They're the better team in the field, but Detroit ended up getting the win. You know, they're, they're feeling really good about themselves. And that's an, that's an organization that I think they just need to learn how to win and carry those from week to week. Then that confidence will pick up and they can be a scary team. So, if you had to ask me right now, I still think this is the Vikings. Um, I think they're the most they're the most balanced team right now, but they're all really good. Is there a team you feel is overrated through the first month of the season? Oh boy, overrated. Um, you know, I I can't say off the top of my head honestly who I think is going to be overrated. Um, I'm not a big I'm not a big Dallas fan. I think when it comes down to, and they're easy, I get it, they're easy to kind of hate. Um, but in, until they can get into the meat grinder of the season and end of the year, and if they really have to win it with Dak, I, I don't think that that's, I still don't think that that's their, their calling card. And I think right now they are a fun team just because Dak is playing a little bit better, but that's a team I just wouldn't trust. So maybe uh, if, if I have a team out there right now that's, that's playing well that I still don't trust, Dallas. we got Ben Lieber joining us on the show on the hotline, K-Fan personality, also former NFL linebacker. Is there – let me just ask you about Baker Mayfield. I might as well. you worried about him? I am worried about him, yeah. I was a huge Baker Mayfield fan. I'm still a big Baker Mayfield fan. I, I, I do wish, you know, if I was, you know, if I was there in Cleveland – and 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 you got to be in it all the time that I would get a little tired of him running his mouth I'd get a little tired of him hitting Twitter and doing the social media thing and I know that might just be a generational thing but um you know he's at a he's at a fork in the road where he's got to prove himself you know he's he's going to start diminishing his name and his and his image if he doesn't go out and produce on the field and and worry about that first you know your megaphone's going to get louder and louder with the better play that you have but uh, you keep talking and uh, and you keep going out there holding on to the football and staying in the pocket and and trying to create things without going through the offense then all of this stuff is going to come crumbling down on you and there's going to be wasted opportunity with that team with that defense that they have with getting the offensive weapons that he wanted and what the team wanted uh, between, you know, Kitchens admitting that he, you know, blew a bunch of calls and, and Baker holding onto the ball and it, making it, making it seem like he's regressed as a quarterback. Um, that's, that's a bad recipe if they don't figure that out. You know, Ben, and, and you're a guy who played, so let me run this by you. You know, Earl Thomas says something earlier this week and he goes on, he, he was asked in a press conference and Earl Thomas says, yeah, we're tired of hearing about the Browns. We heard about the Browns all all week or all year. And so, yeah, we're tired of them. We want to shut them up. And I'm thinking, you know, if Baker responds to that, I don't have a real big problem with it because they're actually combatants in the game. But why are you responding to Rex Ryan? To me, Rex Ryan is a dog that's barking behind a fence as you walk down the street. Why would I go over to that dog and try to mess with that dog? I need to get home. 
You know, yeah. guys like me, you played, so it's different for you. But guys like me, we're clowns for people's amusement. Why would I have any bearing or why would he pay any attention to me when I have no bearing in what he's supposed to do coming up on any given Sunday? Well, I'm with you. I, I think that if you're if you're paying attention to all that outside noise too much, then I think there's validity when the public comes back, the media comes back and saying, hey, you're you're easily distracted by things that, that you shouldn't be. And, you know, he's proving that you can get into his head a little bit. And, he, you know, I get it. You know, he's a guy that has heard the noise for a long time. It's been his number one motivator is people doubting him. And it's served him really well. So I think there is this fine line of when – when he accepts those challenges from, from you know, higher-up people in the media and how he uses his motivation, I, I would have much rather, if he heard that from Rex Ryan, put that in his back pocket, and said to himself internally, hey, man, if he thinks I'm a one-read guy, I'm going to go out and show him and show the rest of the world that I'm not, that I can play quarterback in the NFL at a high level. Put together five or six games, and then come out and say, hey, so much for being a one read quarterback now, huh? You know, and just kind of, I'm okay. If he wants to throw that jab back out there and that rebuttal, but don't do it right. When it happens, go out and prove yourself first. Ben Lieber joining us on the show. All right. Uh, I, I see Buffalo. They're playing new England on Sunday. You, you got two teams. I think you're going to hate me for this. I think if Buffalo just keeps it close, that's a, that's a moral victory. Don't reach yeah. for the phone and beat me. No, I'm I'm with you. You know, I've got a really got a good friend that I've got a good friend that coaches on that team, and uh, you know, we, we've talked, and he he talks to me about how talented this team is, but they also know that um, they're going to have to have some things go right, and and the quarterback's going to have to play consistent. And I think I know that I know that a lot of people look at moral victories as something that you should never acknowledge, but I'm telling you, from being in a locker room before where where people are doubting you, you go out. And you play really well and you, and against one of the best teams in the league, and and you play well, but maybe you just you just don't have quite enough. There is confidence that can be gained in losses like that. There are moral there are such things as moral victories. They'll never admit it because it's like, oh, it's a sign of weakness, and no, it's all about the wins and the losses, and we only look at the wins. Blah blah blah. Yeah. But believe me, there are players and a lot of players and even coaches that will they'll take a very close loss to a team like that. Put that that back pocket and say, hey, man, we're, we're a darn good football team. Look how close we are. And that's a ben, confidence builder. You have no idea how happy you just made me. You have no clue. Because I, I always get, well, there's no such thing as a moral victory. I'm going, man, I always go back to the 01 Patriots when they played close against the Rams. And they lost that game and they went back in the locker room. And guys will tell you the story. They will tell you that story to a man. They go, oh, we can play with anybody now. And they carried it on with them. Now, I don't know if it's going to carry to a Super Bowl, for crying out loud, but it carried them on with them for the rest of the year. I, I, I think you're right. I, I don't know why people don't want to admit stage. it. Right. It's a good barometer and say, you know, maybe you can't be – I wouldn't be happy with a loss, but you could, you could then walk off the field and say, guys, we are not that far away. Look at this. Look at this play. Then you go back and watch the film on Monday and say, look how close we are against one of the best. And that – that can make guys feel good going into Tuesday and Wednesday that next week, even though you got a loss. So there are such things as moral victories. I don't know why. I understand that that it can be picked apart by I think by certain media members if if a star player after a loss is like, yeah, man, I, I there there's a, there's a moral victory that we can learn from this. They, mm-hmm. they would get shredded, but that's the reality, and that's you know, that's what they talk about in the locker room. That's the way they feel. 
Ben, we thank you very much for the time. All the best to you and yours. Hope to do it again soon, my friend. Thanks, man. Go get some sleep, dude. I'll do my best. Ben Lieber, former NFL linebacker, current uh, personality on KFAN all over the place. He's fantastic. Follow him on Twitter at Nacho Lieber. 855-212-4CBS. When we come back, I want to hold off five burning questions because I got to bring it up to you. There is such thing as a moral victory, and Ben just outlined it. It's Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. This is the Ken Carmen Show on CBS Sports Radio. 855-212-4CBS. I want to thank Ben Lieber. I want to thank Ben Lieber so much. People beat me up for it all the time. I go, man, I, I do think there is such a thing as a moral victory. Like, and, and I don't think that everybody's celebrating a loss. I don't think they're doing that. I think people, when they hear moral victory, they think that people are doing champions pose in the locker room after a loss. It's not it. I watch Buffalo tomorrow. Buffalo loses by three. I'm going to go on air next Saturday and go, boy, you Bills fans, you guys are in good shape. Bills are in real good shape. Good coaching. That if you if you stay close with the Patriots, Josh Allen will have had to play well. Your defense will have had to play a good football game. Your crowd will have had to be into it. You have to be coached well. The Patriots are one of those teams. This is why I, I didn't. I know people are freaking out about Baker Mayfield. I did the I did the whole game over and over. I've watched the damn thing five times now. I could regurgitate it in my sleep. Through three quarters, I didn't I didn't think Baker Mayfield was overwhelming. I didn't think he was that bad. Why did they lose the game? A fourth and nine draw, which we wonder whether or not it was either Freddie Kitchens or Baker Mayfield. And the other thing is that Baker Mayfield missed Jarvis Landry, didn't see him, and should have thrown to him on third and goal. They came up short in the end. I wish the stats were were to bear out a little bit better, but I thought the defense played really well. I thought the offense at times showed some light. I thought they played pretty decent against one of the best football teams in the NFL. Can you take that and turn it into something? We'll find out tomorrow against the Baltimore Ravens. For the Bills, you've played three teams that have been turds. So I can't really judge based on that. You start off 3-0, and so are the Dolphins last year. But if you go out there and you play the Patriots and you win, we're off and running. If you lose by three, your offense had to have played well. Your defense more than likely will have had to play well. Your special teams, because you know how Bill Belichick does it. Good God, the guy gets left-footed punters on purpose just to make sure that it throws a different type of spiral. The guy thinks of everything. So your special teams will have had to play well. Your coaching will have had to be there. I like Sean McDermott a lot. I tell any Bills fan ever. And your quarterback play. Hello, young quarterback, Josh Allen. You will have had to play well. You won't be that mad you lost to the Patriots. Are you supposed to spend the rest of the day on a fainting couch because you lost to the Patriots at home and you're 3-1? and one? Now, I think that a Bills fan will look at it and go, same old sorry-ass Bills, here we go. That might be because, hey, you're kind of a wounded puppy. So there's there's been a lot of heartache in the past, and I know that a lot of Bills fans, a lot of longtime Bills fans would go, I know how this game ends. Okay. Or that could just be something that spurs that stirs you. Your coaching should go back in and go, listen, you, it's, it's the NFL, you're paid professionals, you're disappointed, and you should be. But if you lose a heartbreaker 27-24 to the freaking Patriots, I think you do to the Patriots, or you try to circle the wagons and try to do to the Patriots what the Patriots did to the Rams back in 2001. We, we can play with anybody. We got a quarterback that can play with anybody. We got an offensive line, defense that can play with anybody. We do this. There is such a thing as a moral victory. 
Or if you just want to take the if you want to take the word victory out of it, go right on ahead. There's something you can learn from a loss and use as motivation or use use to get yourself for the rest of the year on the right track. Something that proves that you really have it. Because the Bills have not played anything that proves to me that they're a really good football team. And honestly, Josh Allen, when I look at what he played with over the last couple of weeks, he's he's done well. He showed up in the fourth quarter. I cannot take that away from the kid. But there's a lot of things I'm going, eh. well, we'll find out tomorrow. But I love what Ben Lieber said. Because you have to admit to yourself, to a man, if you're building something, which I think they are because you have a young quarterback, if you're building something, whether it be in the NFL or in college football or high school, there's going to be games that are measuring sticks. The Patriots are a measuring stick. You would use that. Like Rutgers today, they're supposed to use Michigan as a measuring stick. I don't know how great that is, but away you go with that. So I love what he says about that. Those are two big games in the AFC. Because last week, when I bring up the Browns, and I say that's the biggest game of the 1 o'clock games on Sunday, you played well against the Rams, certainly on defense. Now you have to look back at it and go, okay, do you have what it takes to beat Lamar Jackson, who's also a second-year quarterback? Do you have what it takes defensively, offensively? A guy who's a great coach, John Harbaugh, is easily the best coaching Harbaugh in that family. Easily. It's not even a question. The only reason they're relevant is because of John Harbaugh. The changes that they've had to make, please. Against a well-coached football team, you get yourself to 2-2, two and two, you get yourself technically to the top of the AFC North in a tie, and you would have that tiebreaker at that point. I know it's only September. Away you go. And now you can start to calm people down because I think it's the same maxim for both the Bills and the Browns on Sunday. To beat the Ravens, Offense, defense, special teams got to be there. Coaching, which is a huge question mark, that has to be there as well. Your quarterback play has to be there. And right now, you got a lot of people looking to take a bite out of Baker Mayfield's ass. 855-2124-CBS, 855-2124-2275. Burning questions and coming up at 1 p.m. Eastern. How the hell does De'Eric King watch Oklahoma and say, nah, I'm good with Houston? This is the Ken Carmen Show on CBS Sports Radio. Tom... It's time for five burning questions. Take me to that place, baby. All right, we begin with Cam Newton, who let on this week that his list Frank foot injury is a little bit more serious than he had originally indicated to both the team and the media, and that he won't return until he's ready. The quote was, it could, be, it could very well be a week or two weeks. It could be three weeks. It could be four weeks. It could be six weeks. But I have to understand and know if it takes that time, I trust in this team, and they will. We will still be in a great situation by the time I get back. What about eight weeks? Could be what about weeks. nine weeks? It could be nine weeks. And Kyle what about Allen, ten weeks? Kyle Allen looked pretty darn good as his replacement last week and really made an offense that hasn't been functional this year very much functional. So will we see Cam uh, in this time frame? We'll say six weeks. Will we see a return to form? And also, is there any truth or any validity to this uh, veganism being blamed a little bit for his physical condition? Beg your pardon. I was not apprised of veganism. Go ahead. He is a vegan now. And people are taking shots at him and saying that he needs to prioritize his his well being uh, a little bit more than that. Yeah, what are you, over his diet? Over his diet? Of course, there are others pushing back and saying it's unfair. I, That's why it's a burning question, Ken. I don't understand the core. Okay, so what's the question? Okay, the question. The first question. There's basically six burning questions because yeah, you asked me two right here. here. Yeah. Okay. To answer the first question, no, Cam will never come. I don't think Cam will ever come back to the form that he is. He's such a physical quarterback Uh, I don't think that he can take the hits obviously like he used to two are you asking me if veganism is something to blame here yeah if you think it's fair to go after his diet 
I don't know. I, I mean, freaking Cam wears a babushka out there, so people get all upset about him wearing what he wears. The I'm surprised you he get all there. upset. You get all I don't upset get upset. No, I don't get upset about the babushka. No, I think it takes a great amount of stones to stand up there after a loss in a babushka. So I don't go after him for that. It's not something I'd wear, but I don't have the self confidence or the physique that Cam Newton does. Now, do I? No, I don't. No. So with the with the, I think you need protein, but I don't know if I'm the guy to be asking about diet here, Tom. I don't know if I'm the big nutritionist that people want to ask as I sip on chocolate milk while I do this show right now. So <laughs> yeah, I don't fair. know right. if I should be the guy. <laughs> <laughs> See me go. Oh, you need to put the meats in the diet and the whatnot and the grains. I agree, though. I mean, I think it's I think it's harsh to go after the guy's diet and his amount of protein. We don't understand. We're not privy to the details of that. It's kind of a, a wild fat, thing to criticize. I just think a fat pig radio show host might want to keep it to himself if you're talking about the guy's diet. That's fair. That's fair. All right, we'll turn to the Redskins quarterback situation, which has gotten a little weird. I guess I have two questions on this one, too. But okay. uh, Joel Klatt went on the Rich Eisen show yesterday and said, quote, the coaching staff, meaning uh, Washington coaching staff, was never on board with the selection of Dwayne Haskins. There's a rift between the front office who wants him to play and the coaching staff. So obviously now Jay Gruden and Dwayne Haskins' fates are kind of intertwined here. How long does Jay Gruden last this season, and when will we see Dwayne Haskins? Why does Bruce Allen have a lifetime contract there? Pretty interesting. Yeah. I'm just saying. I mean, he is he, he is George's son, correct? Does that have something to do with it? Is, he, he is re, he is like the son of George, correct? Like he's got to be. So yeah, his dad's George Allen. So I'm just making sure I'm not because right, every now and then matter, we always get yes, the, that is true. I, I don't know why that would matter because the guy has done a just asinine job, and he keep the, via. We talked about the Peter principle. Via the Peter principle, he just keeps moving up. Right, he just finds way to move up. But why would it? Why would it be his dad? Well. It has well, to be, be some reason. You're right. Well, oh, that's well, that's what I'm saying. Well, George Allen was a legend. Was a legend of the Washington Redskins. I'm not debating that. So it's hard to His fire. His son the, is, is categorically not a legend. Of the well, Washington that's true. Redskins, well, it's just it's it might be a little. Dan Snyder, above all, is a Redskins fan. Follow me on this, all right? Yeah. Dan Snyder is a Redskins fan. That's true. It, it is. It is. A, he he runs a team like a fan. That's true. It's abundantly clear. So he might feel bad. I can't believe this. Because it's not doing what's best for the franchise, he might feel bad firing George Allen's son. Because I'm sure, how old is Dan Snyder? Dan Snyder is. Let me look it up real quick. Dan Snyder's 54 years old. So Dan Snyder was alive when George Allen was coaching. That means that George Allen was the coach of the Redskins, who was a great coach, by the way, a coach of the Redskins while he was a child. How are you going to do that? But this isn't. How George are you going to do this that? Is his son. I, I understand that if like why you gave him the job, but now you're just going to exactly, him... exactly. But I think it might be a little bit difficult to fire the son of a guy you revered. Okay, that's all. Okay, I'm not. I don't want to fight you over it. I, I think you make the best point. It's like, well, you're not doing what's best for the franchise, so you got to go. So you're right about that. But I don't know. Do you want to do? Because you you t- you took Dwayne Haskins in the first round, so you took this kid in the first round. Now, all of a sudden, there's going to be a fight between the coaching staff that you, people thought you were probably going to blow out going into this year anyway. Right? Right. So now Dwayne Haskins is stuck in the middle of this tug and pull. And I still believe if you guys want to blame John Jay Gruden, Jay Gruden, Jay Gruden, you go right on ahead. But Jay Gruden was proven right about Bob Griffin. He was. 
Maybe you'll be proven right about about Dwayne Haskins. I think if Dwayne Haskins, Jay Gruden wants to be a head coach. If Dwayne Haskins could help him win, I think he'd play Dwayne Haskins. I don't think that Case Keenum has been the big problem for the Redskins. They're just not a great football team. He He is an overwhelmingly great quarterback. They're just not a great football team. And he didn't look very good against the Bears, and people got upset. But he's not that great, and they're not great at all. And I know that you want the young guy to play because you want to see when, if he, what he can do if he plays. He'll eventually play. But right now, you do want to try to win games because you have other veterans there. You want to try to save yourself and maybe you want to see if you can bring Trent Williams back by any chance to protect Dwayne Haskins when you do put Dwayne Haskins out there. I think what people need to recognize, and I've done this a million times, there's a difference between the most talented quarterback on the, on the roster, which Dwayne Haskins should be, and ready to play. Just because you're the most talented doesn't mean you're ready to play. If in that position you don't know the offense, you're playing on a lousy football team, you don't know what you're supposed to do at any given time yet, I'm not putting the guy in the right position to be successful. Not now and not for the future. So there has to be that that gets figured out. Until you get that figured out, I say don't play him. If he's not ready, don't put him on the bike. Next. All right. Your boy Kyrie Irving released some interesting quotes to ESPN.com about his past year in Boston this week and uh, how he struggled with the death of his grandfather. The quote was, a lot of the joy I had from basketball was sucked away from me. There was a facial expression I carried around with me throughout the year, and I didn't allow anyone to get close to me. It really bothered me. I didn't take the necessary steps to get counseling or therapy. I had to acknowledge that fact. A lot of those battles I thought I could battle through in Boston's environment, but I wasn't ready for it. And I failed those guys. I didn't give them everything I could have during that season. In terms of being a leader and bringing everyone together, I failed. It's pretty interesting growth from Kyrie. Do you expect to see a more mature Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn? Oh, I don't know yet. I think that those are sobering words, and I'm glad he said them. A lot of them are true. I I think that Kyrie Irving simply sees the truth the way he sees it, though. I, I don't know if he's ever... I don't know if he's shirked responsibility. I think that for the moments that Kyrie's there, I think Kyrie believes in the truth as he sees it at that moment. So I don't know if he ever shirked responsibility before. Now he, he's asked the questions, and since he's no longer with the Celtics, he answers it, and I think that's the truth. He, he, you are brought in to be their leader. You never were. You sat out in Game 7. You didn't even show up to the building, and I don't care if you were injured or not. It's Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. If you're their leader, you got to find a way to be in the building. It's that simple. I know that you'd have to sit there and watch LeBron go back to the finals over your over your basketball team. A guy at that time you didn't like. They seem to have mended the fence, but at the time you didn't like. But if you're a leader of the basketball team, you got to show up and watch your team. It, it was a bad look then, and people thought I was making too big of a deal of it then. I still think it was a bad look, and I'll always think it's a bad look. It's not Kyrie, it's anybody. If LeBron doesn't show up to a Game 7 if he's injured for the L.A. Lakers, I'm going to call out LeBron for it because I think it's asinine to do that. But I also think that what Kyrie is doing here is having some self-reflection. I always think he's going to be a little offbeat, and that's okay. We don't always have to agree with each other on things, but I do think that's a nice step. Growth, I don't know. Maybe he's already there. But in that reflection, that's a good thing for him to say. I like that. You want leadership from him out of the nets, and that's a good first step towards that leadership. Next. 
All right, Ron Jaworski went on the Dan Patrick Show this week and made some kind of eyebrow-raising comments. He's re- he, this was the quote. These games are going, as in NFL mm. games, of course, these games are going way, way, way too long. I'm not sure how TV is going to be able to monitor this, but I believe they're going to lose their audience when you show the zebras all the time and meetings all the time and discussions all the time and Mike Pereira all the time, end quote. Do you agree, Ken, that uh, the increase in replay and stoppages for refereeing, to put it just generally, are actually a threat to the NFL product? That's a controversy? That's a controversy? I don't think that's a controversy. Did I say the I, word controversy? Oh, what did you say? You said I that there were controversial were a, comments, right? Eyebrow raising. Eyebrow ra- Okay, I assumed it was controversial. I Ron Jaworski went on the Dan Patrick Show and said the NFL is going to lose their audience over replay reviews. You don't think that? Well, I don't think they're going to lose their raising? audience. I don't think they're going to lose their audience, but I think that he has a point. It's boring as hell. I don't need to see guys having a powwow. I, I don't think. I, I think that's one thing where they've gone for drama, and it's just it's so awful. It is so bad. Like I don't care. I, Gene Steratore has a great personality. It seems like a likable person. I don't care. Mike Pereira is great to interview. Seems like a really nice guy. Dean Blandine, all these guys. I, I don't want to see him. I don't need to see him. You're you're put in the position you're put into to to make the right call, and the sport is supposed to be easy for people to watch. We're really bringing all this stuff in to try to describe how the rules should be called right then and there. Why? None of that's really entertaining. It takes time out of the game. 95% of the time, it's not what any of the fans want to have to be the outcome. If you're watching from a perspective of neither team's your favorite team, or you're watching from the perspective of your team's your favorite team, if it comes out the other way, you're going to hate what you see. It just It's nonsensical. I really think they ought to go back to the way Chuck Knoll said it. I think it's been a failed experiment. I think we're looking for things for, for to get right that we weren't looking for in the first place. I think get rid of it. The call on the field's a call on the field, and we're always going to deal with the call on the field. It takes forever. And why do we blow the whistles on, on kick returns or on, on, on fumbles and returns like that? I don't understand why. We're afraid of our own shadows anymore. And because we spend so much time making these guys' names, because we're not supposed to know refs' names because they're not supposed to be a big part of what we watch, now I think these guys are afraid to not throw penalties, to not throw flags, because we know who they are. And we fired, a, we fired an official last year over a non-false start call. So you got a real problem there with this. I don't think we blame the refs. I don't think the refs know what the hell to call anymore. We changed the rules on them so much. Next. Yeah, that one replay in the Packer game was just so obviously like Asinine. they don't they don't know what Asinine. to do. They don't know they, they don't know they, they know what they're looking at, but they don't know what to do in terms of the call and like what the standard is for replay. So it's 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 a mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to do this in the spirit of burning questions. I'm sorry, but I, I got to ask you, what okay. do you think? actually went down on the fourth and nine draw decision oh my god i think he called an audible you you want me to be honest yeah obviously right i mean you asked me the question i think that he i think that baker might have forgot it was fourth and nine and called the audible that's the key piece. I think he might not have even realized that it was fourth down. And part of that possible. is, can I just tell you, it's it's the it's the answer I want to believe for the Browns. I think it's a much bigger deal if your head freaking coach calls a draw on fourth and nine than your young quarterback forgetting the down and distance and calling an audible there. It's a much bigger deal. 
Because you could say, well, that just highlights Baker's ineptitude. Okay, okay, I guess you could. But Freddie Kitchens is supposed to be helping Baker Mayfield and calling a draw on fourth and nine. That would not be helping. So neither outcome's great because it's a draw on fourth and nine. It's really silly. So it's so nonsensical. Mm, I want to believe, and I think it's true, he probably forgot it was fourth and nine and called the draw. Not Freddie. I'm talking about Baker. He audible to the draw. You agree? I actually think that's exactly what happened. Yes, Ken. I do. And honestly, it, it, it doesn't make sense with his personality if it had been called from the sideline that he would have and, run it that way. You know what I mean? And I read, I read Dan Orlovsky. I'm a huge fan of Dan Orlovsky. I read his, uh, his thought on it, and I, I could see that reasoning to it as well. I don't think we'll ever know. I'm Sorry, more than what willing was to his help. thought on it? He said he thought it was called. He said oh, okay. that because Andy Benoit, I don't know how to pronounce that goofball's last name. Andy Benoit, uh, he, he, he put out the video, said he thought it was an audible. And Dan Orlovsky basically went case by case. He goes, ah, you know, the offensive, the, the tight ends never move. The head movement across the offensive line, maybe that was to a different call for the will to the mic to the Sam. Uh, there's a lot of things that are explainable there. And I, and I love Dan Orlovsky, and I, hope, I, I don't hope that he was right. I actually hope that Baker Mayfield called the audible because I'd rather the young quarterback mess that up than the head coach who should da- damn well know better call that play. It's, it's such a horrible scenario. Because either way sucks, but I, if, if I'm given that outcome, what's it, the, the prisoner's dilemma? I'd rather have that. I'd rather have Baker was the one who did it. Uh, but that's just my, it sucks so bad. Can't believe a week later we're still doing that. What an egregious call. And it's, it, it's a terrible situation because you're at the 40-yard line. You punt from there? Really? What, to get a net of 15? Do you punt? Bad spot. Bad call either way. I'd rather him forget it. Coming up in 20 minutes, Matt Williamson going to join us. We'll talk NFL with him. We'll see who he's worried about when it comes to quarterbacks. Also, Dana Holgerson's either the most trusting man in college football or the biggest city in college football, or maybe both. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 